This is the Tom Bigby Tales. This is a podcast about a small town on the Tom Bigby River in Northeast Mississippi called Columbus. Sometimes our tales take us to neighboring communities like tonight. Tonight's episode is about a murder that happened in Noxaby County about 20 minutes from here. It's titled The Horror of Brooksville. And it's based on the reporting of a blogger, uh, Jim Woodrick, whom I relied heavily on. The Horror of Brooksville. About a mile south of Brooksville, Mississippi, is a home with a tragic past known as the Thompson Place. The house was the scene of a horror on December 4th, 1865. While much of the story is about what took place there, that belongs in the land of folklore, some facts remain to paint a rather gruesome picture. Brooksville is in Knoxby County in the Mississippi Prairie, about nine miles north of Macon and just south of Columbus. It was established in the 1830s. And just before the Civil War, the Mobile and Ohio Railroad was built through there in 1857. Before the railroad, Thornton K. Thompson, a native of Garrard County, Kentucky, moved to the area and established a sizable cotton plantation. Based on the number of slaves he owned, more than 30, it was clearly a large landholding. To get his cotton to market, Thompson and the other plantation owners used the Tom Bigby River several miles to the east to move their cotton south to Mobile. By 1865, the last year of the Civil War, Thompson, who at this time would have been in his 60s, had been married four times. Each wife had produced children, including six with his fourth and current wife, Mary. He also had several adult children by his previous wives, including Roland, James, and Joseph. When the war began, one of his sons had joined the Confederate Army, if not more. Roland Thompson enlisted in Company D of the 41st Mississippi Infantry in the spring of 1862. He fought in just about every campaign until August of 1864, when Roland died in the Army and is listed among the Confederate dead on the monument in downtown Macon, the county seat. Now, whether he died of disease or on the battlefield, that is up to historians beyond me because I can't find anything on him other than his name on that list in Macon. According to local legend, Roland had a half-brother named James who also enlisted, enlisted in the army, even though we can't find any record of that. But according to that legend, James was so distraught at his brother's death he deserted his regiment. Now, the story continues. The grief-stricken brother uh, is sometimes listed as Richard Thompson, though no such name is found in the Thompson family. Now, I don't know if it was James Richard, Richard James, or James or Richard. The younger brother is then said to have escaped to Brazil in order to establish a Confederate colony. But while in Brazil, as the story continues, he meets with the Brazilian emperor, Don Pedro II. Now, Don Pedro is super impressed with his education and his personality 
and he introduces Mr. Thompson to his daughter. And of course, according to legend, the two fall in love and plan to marry. Despite the fact that James, or Richard, or Richard James, or James Richard, whatever the heck his name is, already has a wife back in Brooksville. So then the war ends, and the prodigal son returns to the plantation on a Brazilian frigate that is somehow docked on the Tom Bigby River, where he greets his father with news of a fabulous business deal with the Brazilian government, which will then buy his father's cotton. Of course, his dad is delighted with the return of his son. Oh, and of course, he wants to find a market for his cotton. So he begins making uh, preparations to load the ship for the return trip to Brazil. Ah, but of course, not all is as it appears. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a good tale to tell now, would we? James's real plan, according to legend, is to steal the cotton from his father, take the proceeds for himself, get back to Brazil, and marry the good old emperor's daughter. However, his plans are soon thwarted by his own wife when she discovers an incriminating letter in his clothing in his luggage. Now, armed with that knowledge and that she's been betrayed, the father confronts the son. And from there, the whole conspiracy goes to heck in a handbasket and everything spins out of control. And, of course, tragedy is going to befall our beloved Southerners as any good uh, Southern melodrama would go. So let's get into it. First of all, let's talk about some of the problems with the story. If James Richard, Richard James, James Richard, whatever the heck his name is, served in the Confederate Army, it's difficult to figure out how a lone deserter would have made it all the way to Brazil during the war. And if he had, why in the heck would the emperor of a country be interested in a little Confederate deserter redneck from Brooksville, Mississippi? And why would he want him as his son-in-law? Let's look at the reality of this. Neither of his daughters could possibly have been candidates to marry James because historically we know that Isabel, born in 1846, was short, rather chubby, and had no eyebrows. She was not considered a fine catch, but despite that, her father had shopped her around the courts of Europe for a suitable husband. At first, the French Duke of Penthe—I can't say it—Penthevery, Penthevery, Penthier. The anyways, the marriage went off because the Duke was just not interested in women <laughs> and declined the offer. Instead, a nephew of this prince of Joinville named Gaston was sent to Brazil to meet Isabel. When Gaston arrived, he discovered her that she was kind of on the, what he called ugly. But she wasn't nearly as ugly as her sister, Leopoldina. Thus, Gaston finally said, okay, I'll marry Isabel. And I'll send Leopoldina to marry my my first cousin, Ludwig. So Ludwig was sent to Brazil at the, at the request of the prince. Then there is no record of a wife back in Brooksville for James or Richard or Richard James or whatever the heck his name is. Anyways, the woman that's allegedly identified in the story as Sally Monroe is not found on any documents associated with uh, Knoxby County or nearby Lowndes County. 
As for a Brazilian frigate coming up the Tom Bigby in 1865, perhaps it's possible, and it seems kind of unlikely. With all these irregularities, post-war, eh, what's the truth? Well, we're not sure, other than we know something horrific did occur on December 4th, 1865. Whether or not James actually had a deal with a foreign government to buy his father's cotton, it is safe to say that he had convinced his father there was such a deal in place. It is also likely that Thompson was attempting to defraud his father, and there's actually some indication that his older brother Joseph was in on the conspiracy. However, Unlike the popular story, it was not James's wife who blew the whistle. It was his stepmother, Mary. Um, there were growing concerns that her husband was, you know, up there in age, and he was about to lose his wealth and prosperity to his sons from an earlier marriage, maybe leaving her and her litter of children destitute. So Mary raised the alarm, and of course, her husband became very suspicious. Well, back to James, when he discovered that the plot was unraveling, he was furious, and he went in the home to settle the score with his meddling stepmother. Apparently, he came in armed to his teeth, and according to an account in the Memphis Appeal, James entered the house and, it appears, quote, shot his sister with a single shot, with a shotgun, as she was in the act of dressing herself. She had one stocking on and had another in her hand. The shot took effect in her right shoulder and side, nearly tearing the arm from her body and mangling the side most horribly. Next, James shot his stepmother, Mary. Before she died, she begged James, allegedly, most piteously, not to shoot. The murderer then shot his brother, Henry Clay Thompson, in the head with a pistol, killing him instantly. Upstairs, there were two more children, and they had bolted the door, but James climbed the stairs, forced the door open, and Jemima, age 15, managed to rush past him and down the stairs. However, he would fatally shoot her in the head as she headed down the stairs. The last child, Emily, was shot at least two times. However, she managed to survive the attack. Anyways, all told, James murdered four members of his family. However, not content with his efforts, he went back toward the river to find his father. He met his father on the road in a buggy with the sheriff. So James took aim and fired, wounding Thornton in the hand. He wasn't able to kill him, but uh, so James just fled toward the river to try and escape quickly. And anyways, a posse was quickly raised and, well, they cornered him on the boat and since justice in those days was rather swift, after capturing him, he was taken back to the plantation where he'd killed his siblings, and he was hung summarily from an oak tree. His body was then buried beneath that tree while his victims were all buried in the nearby Sharon Cemetery. The newspaper describes the murderer as a small man with a pleasing but reckless face. Gotta love those old Southern papers and the style of writing. Thornton Thompson, having, having lost most of his family, left Knoxville County and relocated to Clark County, Mississippi, where he started his life all over again. And there he married and had another child named Mary. 
Before leaving Knoxby County, he disowned both his son, Joseph, and his daughter, Fanny, who didn't die in this uh, melee, indicating perhaps some involvement of their part in the conspiracy to defraud him. However, Thornton Thompson died in 1869 before his new daughter was born in 1870. Emily, however, the lone survivor from the attack, died before her father. She died in 1868 and is buried in the Sharon Cemetery in Knoxville County. Nobody really talks about this story, and it's not really even remembered at all. While we may not know all of the truth and be able to distinguish between the truth and fable, the end result's still the same. There were four brutal murders, and a family was destroyed by one person's rage and betrayal. The house where the murders took place stood until recently. However, it stood long deserted. There have been others who've lived there, and they reported that there were blood on the stairs that can't be removed, and that uh, that there were some rumors of ghosts in the home. The small cemetery, the Sharon Cemetery, is perhaps the greatest witness to the killings where there are four lonely graves, all with the same death date, December 4th, 1865. The fifth grave, the grave of the murderer, is unknown. His body was later moved to that same cemetery, but he was not placed beside his victims, and either he had no tombstone or it has since disappeared, and now his burial place is lost and forgotten. I want to thank you for coming on this little podcast and learning more about the Tom Bigby area and about the Tom Bigby tales. I hope that if you enjoyed this podcast, you will like, follow, and subscribe to the Tom Bigby tales. And if you want to learn more about Knoxville County have and um, the area around the Tom Bigby River, I hope you will look up Macon, Mississippi, and Brooksville, Mississippi, and find out more about these communities, as well as to explore the Historic Home Tours Facebook page of Columbus and learn more about the Tom Bigby and the rich heritage of Columbus, Mississippi. Until next time.